The Bucks have wrapped up the offseason. Why isn't there more buzz about this team? And will Jameis Winston earn another shot in 2020? Will the Rays stay in the hunt without a new closer? And the Sandlot is 25 years old. Quite a movie. You're killing me, Smalls. We'll discuss all that and more with Tom Jones, the former Times columnist, now of the Pointer Institute, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a portion of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. All you have to do is contact us on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you be part of our team. Okay, Tom Jones joins us now from the Pointer Institute. It is Point Counter Pointer. Tom, how you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. That's, I, you know what? I've been, if I ever do the podcast over there, I think that's the name of it. You just came up with the name of it, man. I'll, I'll send you a check. I, I love it. Point. I actually, I, I absolutely love it. Um, of course, uh, you know, at this point, we are. Uh, I'm at One Buck Place. You are not. Uh, you are at the Pointer Institute, but. Uh, it's the final day over here of the off-season program for the Bucks, and I don't think it'll be a long one. You know, Bruce Arians uh, will probably you know have some guy kick a 50-yard field goal and call it after about an hour. But it's been kind of a kind of a weird off-season. I mean, I think like the more we're around Arians, you you kind of learn like he's old school, but then he's he's the coolest coach in the NFL. Just ask him. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of that going around. But um, you know, the the big news, of course, over these last few weeks has been. Sort of this this clumsy um, dismissal or divorce, if you will, of Gerald McCoy, and then you know the the quick hiring of Indomitian Sue, and this is his third team in the last three years. I don't know what you thought of Sue. You know, when they came out, they were two and three. They were very close. Um, you know, one guy was considered maybe a little better pass rusher. The other guy was was more of a bigger presence in the middle. But uh, what did you make of just just this this moving on from McCoy? Which happens all the time with with players and salaries, and then, and then you know replacing him uh, with a guy like Indomitian Sue. Yeah, you know when we when I was on here a couple of weeks ago, I, I said, and, and you and I have talked about this before. There's no such thing as a good divorce. It's these yeah. things are always awkward. They're always ugly, even when they're not intended to be. As far as Sue coming in, my in, initial reaction, Rick, is we don't see Sue every every play. You know, we've seen the highlights, the lowlights of his career. With Gerald McCoy, there's probably a tendency to, at least in my mind, to think, well, maybe he was a better player than Sue because we see impact plays that he makes or has made even when he doesn't get a, st- a stat out of it. You know, yeah. he may not get a sack, he may not get a tackle, he may not get a tackle for loss, but he'll make a play that leads to a sack or a tackle for loss. And we get to see that because you and I, definitely you, have, have seen every play of his career in, at the NFL level. I have not seen every play of Sue's career at the NFL level. So I think initially the instinct is that, well, you know, McCoy might be the better player, at least in my mind. Although, again, as you mentioned, statistically, they're, they're all, all, you know, it's almost identical. The thing I can't get over, Rick, and again, I understand the, the whole divorce is hard thing, is sort of the, just the hatred spewed towards Gerald McCoy by fans. I've just seen, this is just based on comments. And I know Twitter's not always an accurate gauge, but, I know he was a polarizing figure anyway, and we talk, we've talked about that because they haven't won while he was here. But the fact that he's now gone on to Carolina and so there's sort of this attitude among some Buck fans, not all, like, oh, screw him, fine. He wants to go there, and we're done with him. Look, the team that, that he was on didn't want him back at that money. <laughs> they got right. rid of him. 
What's yeah. he supposed to do? Like check with everybody and say, okay, do you want me to sign into CFL? Will that make everybody happy? Like I don't get this. And Rick, you you're around it more than I. Am. I don't get why people hate him now because of this. I don't know. There was a time when David Letterman walked across the street to CBS. I mean, <laughs> exactly. You know, when you don't get the job, when you're not going to host the Tonight Show, you want to you want to do something, be their competitor. Right. Um, you know, he was, he was a nice guy. They didn't win. Um, you know, we ran to him all the time to talk about losing. He made the most money. I think the money thing, I've, I've said this on this podcast, like I've never quite understood why people um, root against guys that make a lot of money. Like, first of all, I know they pay tickets. So in, in essence, I guess they're sort of paying their salaries, right? But the, the NFL gets most of their money from, from television. And again, you watch television. So you're sort of you're sort of tacitly paying that too. But as people, do we root against Apple? Do we root against McDonald's or whoever's on Starbucks or whoever's on top? I mean, you you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily understand the money part of it. I think there's I think there's a part of that is, you know, whether it's jealousy. I mean, I know you know certainly in terms of some people around here, um, they didn't like how much money he made in in, in radio and other things, but. Um, I don't know. It's just it's weird to me that you have a guy that did everything right. You know, people were bigger fans of of much bigger fans of Warren Sapp. And right. Warren Sapp is the first ballot Hall of Famer who won a Super Bowl, who was defensive player of the year. Easy to be a fan of his, but but off the field, oh, not he's many a people much worse person. <laughs> yeah, not honest. many people like what he did. He could be a did. bad guy sometimes. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's uh, you know, it's interesting you went to Carolina and I think I think revenge is a big part of that. He'll never he'll never come out and say it, but um, you know he had choices in Cleveland and Baltimore and other places, and you know obviously ge- geography mattered to him because it's close to Tampa. I don't think he's looking to move his family, that sort of thing. And there's a lot of reasons, but I do think that the, the idea of playing the Bucks twice a year, uh, at least next year, of course one will be in London. He won't play in Raymond James. Is still something that that appealed to him. You know, I've thought about it. you've done. You've, you of course were you know columnist of the Times for a long time and, and, and wrote sports all the time. What's the is Marty St. Louis about the worst divorce? You, I mean, what what has been like the worst separation of of iconic or superstar players in Tampa Bay? I mean, Marty would be up there, and the reason I think that became you know such a, a contentious thing among fans is that. That was a situation where the player did want to leave Tampa Bay. He wanted away from he the organization. Asked out. He asked to be he, traded. Right. right. Not only and not asked just to be to traded, be traded right. but to be traded, traded to, to the New York Rangers. that team right there. Right. And then immediately went on and had playoff success with that team. Right. Um, and I, I, could, I totally understand at the time why fans were really upset with Marty St. Louis. I hope they've gotten over it by now and it's worked out well in their favor because – Marty St. Louis has long since retired, and the player that they got for him is, at least up until now, is a member of Tampa Bay Lightning, probably not much longer, and Ryan Callahan. Um, but, and they had success with Ryan Callahan. So that's probably, Rick, yeah, you're probably right. Marty St. Louis is probably, probably the most contentious. After that, though, I mean, this Gerald McCoy thing is getting ugly. I don't remember clearly, like, people seem to be on the side of, like, John Lynch and Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp when those guys left, even after Lynch and Sapp had particularly Lynch, had lots of success at another mm-hmm. stop. But I don't think uh, – I don't. Uh, man, going back even further, Rick, uh, Doug Williams. Um, oh, that was – yeah. You know what? That got pretty I would, bad, right? I would put for what Doug Williams represented to that football team 
and for the direction it then went afterwards and the number of, of number one picks that they, that they wasted trying to find his replacement. And you could argue they never have, <laughs> quite yeah, right. frankly. I mean, who is that guy? Um, <laughs> that, that's probably the worst one because that was, and that was purely over money, you know, like, and it seems silly now, but he wanted $600,000, right? And Hugh Culverhouse offered him like 400000 and a part of something called Tampa Sphere, which never actually was built. So, you know, that one, that one, you know, the curse of Doug Williams followed the franchise after that. And, um, yeah, but Marty, Marty was, I think the fans were probably madder at Marty than anything because the Lightning were in contention for a playoff. I mean, he, you know. He well, he was not. The they were in contention. They were in contention for a playoff spot. They also he was the captain of the team, um, mm-hmm. and that the, I think that was the other one. Like, well, the captain doesn't you know abandon the ship or whatever. I think that made it much more difficult. As the Rays, uh, I'm trying to think of, of anyone with the Rays. I don't know if the Mad. I mean Longoria, Andrew. You know, Long- well, yeah, Longoria. I mean, I don't, I don't know that they, people. I think felt bad for him. I thought the, you know Madden Friedman. I actually wrote a column saying like, oh yeah, good riddance, Joe Madden. You want to leave? Then leave. You know, sort. I don't blame him. All. Yeah. What were you but, thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> but it was. I there was a there was a moment there where I think some fans were kind of be like, kind of felt like, oh, now we we made you famous, and now you're going on to the you know to the big to the big time, you know, right. with the Cubs. So, you know. That one was probably got a little bit like, let me ask you something, though, Rick, and sort of to flip a little bit here. Um, I'm not out there every day, so I, I don't get the vibe um, that that I would have if I was still working at the Times and still out at one buck every day. It seems like even in the years when Lovey was here and even going back to Greg Shiano and certainly the Dirk years, there was optimism. Like, hey, yeah. this team has a chance. Eh, this goes right. We got a chance to be pretty good here. Am I reading this all wrong? Does, is the vibe a little more um, not pessimistic going into this season? Uh, but is there any feeling of like, let's wait and see? This team may not be good. They maybe they will, but I, I feel like less optimism than I have in recent years. Or am I totally yeah, wrong? Yeah, I, I sense that. I, I but not internally. Like internally, you know, they're right, right. as they always are, thinking they're going to win and and preparing to win. And I know. You know, obviously Jason Light and some others are really fired up about B.A. I would say this, that, you know, when you go all the way back to, you know, they went 9-7 and seven under Dirk Cutter, and then the next year was, you know, hard knocks year where everybody had them not only winning the NFC South but actually going to the Super Bowl. Um, and then you go 5-11 and 11 twice, and you look at the schedule and you see that they don't play a game at Raymond James Stadium from – September 22nd until November 10th. It's just hard to, I mean, if I were a Buck fan, I, I would find it hard to believe that this is their year. Maybe next year when they, they have a lot more salary cap room and, and that sort of thing. I mean, it's an important year. It's important for Jameis Winston. And well, and Jameis is, is interesting that you mentioned Jameis, Rick, I, uh, and I don't mean to cut you off. No, that's, that's your no thought. But, but my also feeling is now we're starting to get into, boy, Jameis has been here a while. You know, it's not like uh, James no, is a kid anymore. Year. You know? Yeah, this yeah. is it. I mean, he has no more years left on his contract. So, you know, if he is going to stay with Bruce Arians, and it seems to me like there were two or three primary reasons Bruce Arians came out of retirement, um, and not so much in this order. One, he got paid. Okay, let's <laughs> let's right. not be naive. But two, 
He said he had he liked the quarterback. He wouldn't do it without a quarterback, and he likes Jameis. And then Jason Light as his GM, and that he could get, maybe there's four, he could get all of his coaches or most of his coaches back, which he did. So he's going to be more of a COO guy, but he, uh, C, you know, CEO type coach, but he's got everybody with him. Um, so if Jameis is number one or two on that list, it would stand to reason that, boy, he'd have to really play bad for, for you know, Arians not to want him next year because who are you going to coach? You know, he knows he needs a quarterback. He had Carson Palmer in Arizona. You know, he, he had, you know, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. And uh, going back as an assistant, you know, Ben Roethlisberger and Peyton Manning. So he knows how, this, how the NFL works, right? You've got to have that guy. So if they, if they don't win enough, um, they would have to really like be a top five pick to even get in range for a new quarterback. And I don't think that Bruce Arians is looking to develop a rookie. So I think Jameis, my personal feeling is Jameis is going to be here for at least two years. And, and I mean, that might mean franchising him. And I think if he stays healthy, he'll put up good enough numbers. Look, the offense has not been really the, I mean, the turnovers are killing him, but the offense has not really been the problem here. It wasn't under Dirk Cutter. It's the defense, and they've no, got a ton no, of young guys. Yeah, no, you're 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 right, and the offense. I worry a little bit about the offense. I'm still still not sold on the offensive line totally. You know, no, it's not um, great, and they did nothing. They did nothing to make it better. You know, that was the right. thing. Like they went into it saying we got to address the right side of the offensive line. They addressed nothing of the offensive line except re-signing Donovan Smith. But what happens? You know, do they expect him to play every snap of his career? Because right. if you lose a left tackle or a right tackle, for that matter, they have no depth at all. I talked to Arians yesterday. He's like, look, we need some we, – we could use a tackle or two. You know, just we're okay with what we got if all five guys – and not all five guys have even made it on the field during the offseason. So wait till they start playing games. So he's like, you know, our five are good, but, you know, you, you're never, never going to go through the year unscathed. So you're counting on Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen and Donovan Smith to play every game. What if, you know, something happens to one of those guys? And DeMar Dotson has played 11 seasons, and you really don't have a right guard. And, and yeah, so the offensive line is definitely an issue. Um, he thinks they're going to run the ball better. I mean, look, all I know is this, like some really smart people in Las Vegas <laughs> that yeah, don't. There you go. Like they build, they win most of the time. That's why they have the big hotels. They've, I think they put the under over at like six or maybe yeah. even five and a half, somewhere in there. And I'm reading guys, you know, that I respect, like Rick Goslin, that ranked this team after the offseason at 31st out of 32. Not, not 21st. You know, only 12 make the playoffs, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> so, you know, anything below 12, that means they're not thinking you're going to be in the postseason. Right. Which I know is a stunner after 11 straight years of no postseason. Right. So we're not breaking news here. Yeah, I'm just, you know, Rick, I was just, like I said, I'm not out there. I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, everything that's, that's going on with the team these days. But it just was this sense of, boy, I mean, a lot of things you're going to have to go right, particularly on defense. Offensively, too, I'm, I'm interested. You mentioned it, they hope to run the ball better, and I expect that that, that, that may be true. But, uh, I th you know, receiver-wise, I'm, I'm curious as to the – impact that no Deshaun Jackson will have. I know he didn't have the time here that he wanted to have or that the Bucks wanted him to have, but his the threat of him out there, I'm curious, you know, that no longer being there, how much that impacts. Oh, him. listen, they and, got little... And Adam Humphreys, too. No, yeah, no they Adam got, Humphreys. Adam Humphreys, I think, is a bigger loss um, only because of the sort of the confidence that Jameis had in him. You know, 71 catches, hard to replace right. five touchdowns. 
Um, but they got little Scotty Miller from Bowling Green. <laughs> there you go. Guy can fly. And, um, and then, you know, we'll see whether Broussard Perriman, who, you know, is hurt every year, is, he can also fly. But, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't played a full season in some time. So there are, I mean, look, if, Mike, if something happens to Mike Evans, it's Chris Godwin is your, is your number one receiver. That's not a great thing. But they still got, you know, a beast of a tight end in O.J. Howard. I don't worry I like, so much. Who I like a lot. I think he's yeah, just I mean, he be, could be a special player. Pro Bowl player if he could stay healthy. So, I mean, you know, the targets, there's still plenty of targets out there, but it's a new offense. It's one that Jameis has not played in. Um, I've seen him struggle at times out here with, with some of the receivers that he's not used to. I mean, he, like I said, when, you're, when you have a comfort zone with guys like Cameron Brayton, and Adam Humphreys and uh, Deshaun even to some extent, although he never really hit him on a deep ball anyway, but it is it is an adjustment, you know. Like he's he's going to have to continually adjust. But are are we are we going to sit here and say that the great quarterbacks can't adjust? I mean, how many receivers has Tom Brady had? And I know they're not all Tom Brady, but you're supposed to make the guys around you better. So, you know, Jameis, I'm still, you know, I mean, his career is yet to be written one way or the other. I still think that most people probably would say, yeah, he could be a guy still. But, boy, he's got to get it done here soon. And if Arians can't do it, this is the other thing. Like, if he can't – if he doesn't play well under Bruce, who has this reputation as the quarterback whisperer, just ask him. Um, you know, he uh, – then, then people, I think, will look at, at Jameis a little different. You know, if he goes the other way, like if he sinks and actually struggles more than he has, then I think, you know, people might say, eh, he might not be a guy for anybody. He might be trying to back up you know, some young kid next year. So Yeah, and the thing, you know, the thing with Jameis too is and I just got done ripping the offensive line and all, but um he's it's not like he hasn't had talent around him. He's you know, he's had some No, he has. Reasons. I mean Mike yeah. Evans is in my mind a top, you know, five, six, seven receiver no in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did have Desha- he did have Deshaun Jackson at his disposal, you know. And, yep. And then, of course, as we mentioned, Brayton Howard at tight end, and Chris Godwin's turned into a nice. Well, look, they've—I mean—at the exclusion of the defense, they've put resources around him. And one of the right. reasons why they were so bad on defense is because of that. You know, when you don't draft a defensive lineman you know, or draft one, um, Stevie, you know, Tui Koleabatu or whatever that's now gone and it's in sixth round or whatever. When he's your only guy in five years, you're going to struggle on defense. You know, at some point. You know, it's 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 going to catch up to you, and I think that's that's what's happened. I think they were so, um, you know, offensive centric and building around the quarterback that, you know, they forgot that they're giving up 29 points a game. Now, you know, it helps that Mike Smith is no longer here. Um, you know, because me and you sat there in Chicago, and you know, I looked at you and oh, said, wow. "This is not NFL football." You know, this is yeah. not this doesn't look like pro football. Right. So and it you know, and it does and that did impact Jameis along the way. I, I will say this that uh, when you have a defense that's given up, you know, four touchdowns a game, twenty nine points, that means they're they're scoring on a lot of possessions, and there yeah. is this need on on offense like we got to score. We can't punt. We punt once, or it could be the ball game for us. So, you know, that may have led to a lot of mistakes. I don't think he's a great decision maker anyway. But Jameis, I think, was in a, he was in a lot of games where he felt like. Man, we got to score a lot of points here. We can't third and seven. We have to get a first down. So I'm going to throw it into traffic if I have to. You know, I mean, clearly when you hire a, a head coach that's 66 years old, it's you're kind of in a win down mentality, right? Doesn't it always feel like? I mean, the Bucks have always hired a coach every two or three years. What for the last nine, ten years? Yeah, right. So, 
I mean, where is that? Where's the where is the next real? You know, like Tony Dungy, John Gruden was established when he came here, and he he, he took on a really good defense and won the Super Bowl, and he deserves credit for it. Dungy was probably the last guy they hired that you say, yeah, he could be here a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who's the Who's the last guy they hired that you thought, oh, this guy could coach six, seven, eight years with the Bucks? You know, yeah, and that's I mean, rare in the NFL anyway. But no, I know, I know. But but that but guy's not Bruce Arians, right? No, no, absolutely not. I think Bruce Bruce Arians is the guy that comes in, and I, you're right. I think it had a lot to do with Jameis and trying. You had to you have to make a decision here. You had to make a decision really quick on Jameis. There mm-hmm. were no there were no better options out there really, and no. you're trying to save him. And if you save him, then you go a long way into saving your franchise and saving right. your own job. You know, if right? Jason Light. Right, and then I think you know there's guys on the staff that whenever Bruce wants to retire for real. Again, you know, the, in, in a perfect world, he hands it over to Byron Lefwich or maybe Todd Bowles or somebody like that. But we'll see how uh, how that plays out. Let's uh, let's talk about the Rays a little bit. Um, and before that, though, we were talking about baseball, and I was looking up some of the uh, the sports. There's some anniversaries this year, particularly in baseball. Two of them that that we're familiar with, uh, everyone's familiar with, if you're a baseball fan. The Sandlot is 25 years old, and Major League is 30 years old. That's, That's hard. hard to believe. I mean, That's... Major I would have said, if you'd have just asked me which movie was made before Sandlot or Major League, I might have said The Sandlot was made be- you know, before Major League. But, but actually, Major yeah. League is older. We got but, to no, talk to... Uh, we got to talk to the guy, right? We did. Remember when he came in? Uh, I still have my PF Flyers. Do you have your PF Flyers? I, no, I actually gave them away to a, uh, to oh. a friend of mine. Okay, yeah, and they, then he gave they didn't us fit. The, they weren't the, the right size. They didn't fit so good. Ah, uh, okay. He gave us the baseball shirts with the Sandlot on them. Yeah, and it had yeah. It says uh, I made out with with uh, Wendy, whatever whatever her last name was, <laughs> um, which I can't wear out of the house. You know, I used to be able to. <laughs> right. Before me, yeah, it'd be a little weird it. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was um yeah. That, but what was amazing, and now have at the time, um, I I hate to throw you under the bus here, Rick. At the time. You had not seen Sandlot. This is I was I was one of the few people on Earth for whatever reason totally missed that movie. And so, I, I, if this is the 25th anniversary, I'm guessing we had that guy on during the 20th anniversary of the show. Right, I it was about five years ago. Yep, that's, so yeah, that's about right. Did uh, so? Have you seen it since? Have you watched it? Yes, since? I have. Okay, and, I've seen, and the weird thing is, now I'm aware of it, so I see it multiple times. Like it's MLB time, Network yeah. runs it a bunch of times. You know, you'll see the baseball movies on. When there's no games, like MLB Network will run, you know, Bull Durham a hundred thousand times. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sometimes Major League or whatever, but um, but I have seen The Sandlot a lot now, and yeah, it's it's uh, you know, it's romanticized. At the time, it wasn't like I think it grossed like thirty million dollars or something like that, but now it's been romanticized a little bit, you know, as 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 everybody gets older, and there's baseball players that like. And of course, now they're they're probably too young to remember it. But like guys like David Ortiz and others said that, you know, that the Sandlot was like sort of inspirational to them in some ways. It was it was you know it was takes takes place in the '60s anyway, I guess right. somewhere out in yeah. California. But it was more about sort of like this, you know, the innocence of youth and and you know, 
playing ball on a, on a vacant lot, which is something that we did growing up all the time. I'm not did sure it it's all done the time. anymore. And we're going to say, oh, back in my day, you know, but it was, it really was like we would yeah. get up in the summer, like this time of year, you couldn't wait for this time of year because school was out. This is exactly were... when you would do it, right? Yeah, 12 years old, you'd get up and you'd get, and you'd get like eight kids and you'd go up to a, a lot or you go to, a, you know, to your little league fields or whatever that weren't being used during the day. Yeah. And, and you go play baseball for like, Seven hours, <laughs> right? You know, right. your parents didn't know where you were. They didn't get you know, as long no as no one worried about it. Yeah, breaking into anything, they were fine. Um, yeah, we used to do that stuff all. And I and I remember games, you know, playing games like that and and getting getting into trouble. You know, hitting a ball somewhere where you shouldn't be hitting it. You know, so oh, was, yeah, you uh, break a window or two. Yeah, exactly. And then when the ball broke, if you didn't have another baseball, the game was over. And yeah, you know. and then somebody go home, somebody go home and get a ball. You know, right? I and it I have Babe Ruth's name on it, but no, you know. I didn't get a Babe Ruth ball. I think I actually <laughs> one time had like an Ed Ott ball or maybe a Kent Tacalvi ball, and I'm like, eh, yeah. Do I really do I really need Kent Tacalvi's autograph? Eh, eh, maybe not. <laughs> So. I don't know that I did this, but I think I might have done this. Like my mom, who came down in the fifties, God, if she's listening to this podcast, I don't think she is, but um, she got a bunch of Yankees autographs. Mickey Mantle was here, you know, um, and she had a bunch of ball, had a bunch of baseballs. I think I might have taken, I may have taken that or an old timers ball that my dad used to get all the time and played with it. Once. I was say because your dad knew a lot of those, a lot of those. Yeah, he was. Like well, they the they used to play, you know, and people remember. But in St. Pete, they used to play what was called the old timers game at Al Lang Field, the start of spring training, and you know there were so many teams that trained down here. Um, but guys would come from all over. And, I mean, you know, it was I – mean, I can remember being a kid in the clubhouse with, you know, Yogi Berra and um, Ted Klazuski and Frank Howard and, you know. Right. I even, you know, going back, I mean, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like one day Jimmy Pearsall showed up, you know, and was doing one-handed push-ups in the clubhouse. I mean, it was just <laughs> – was, was climbing up the Red back of the cage. was playing second base. I mean, it was just like kind of weird. But um, to think, you know, Bob Feller always pitched – you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, he had a lot of he had a lot of connections with that. So I don't every time down. I think of Bob Feller, remember remember those? So they back in the old days, they didn't have. They claim he threw like ninety eight miles an hour back in the day. You know, Bob yeah. Feller. Didn't and they didn't guns. have radar guns back then, so he still have that clip of a motorcycle going ninety eight miles an hour <laughs> as it was driving by me. Did you ever see that clip? And he'd throw it. I bet you saw it on YouTube somewhere. And he'd throw it and see if he could beat the the catcher. Yeah, beat it, the ball to the catcher. Like the, the dude but major league, the who, I was major league, it was funny. I major league was on the other day. I watched major league for a little bit. And it's you know what? It's not like a great baseball movie in terms of I mean, there's some like some you know, the the game itself is they're a little bit silly, you know, Wesley Snipes and, and all that. It's you know, it's in chart and the wild thing. Um but it's actually a pretty it actually it's one of those it's like the it, I compare it to like Caddyshack. Like Caddyshack's not actually really. It's a not golf a golf movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it's but it's still I, I'll still watch it. And Major League's the same way. Major League's not nearly as good in my mind, especially in the baseball stuff as uh, as Bull Durham or The Natural. You know, or The Natural actually. The Natural actually looks or Eight Men Out, which actually looks like real baseball. Um, I was gonna the, say uh, who which which movie actually played the game the best? I think like Bull you Durham. Would say, yeah, I right? get it. I think Bull Durham, and the reason I think it's Bull Durham is because of Kevin Costner. Now, yeah. t- uh, Tim Robbins not quite doesn't look quite like you know he might be the number one draft pick uh, pitcher. You know he's a little clunky on the mound. No, but, he does uh, not throw like a guy. He does that not can throw, throw like a like yeah a hundred like miles a an hour. Yeah. Right, yeah. but Kevin Costner I think makes up for it. And you know it was funny the time the Rays. I may have told this story before. The time the Rays 
Remember they changed their name from Devil Rays to Rays. Yes, and, and he came had, right for that. He came. He showed up, and they had a big thing down at Outlying Stadium. Then his he has a band, and they played at Vinoy Park or somewhere down in there. And we we all went down to interview him at Outlying Field. So there was somebody. I guess I don't know if it was the race. Somebody was having. They they threw batting practice for him. He went out there basically in boots, like like. Hey everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Uh, you know, cowboy boots and jeans. And I mean, he looked like like his character in Bull Durham when he wasn't like dressed in a baseball uniform, like when he was just going to hang out with Andy Savoy or whatever. Dress shirt. He took uh, swings from both sides of the plate, right handed, hit like two out of out line. This is just picking up a bat. Like, hit him out? It, it hit him out. He had two out left right handed and then left handed come up and hit like a couple off the wall. Like, Jeez. literally just picking up a bat. Now, they weren't throwing, you know. Yeah, it's still BP, but whatever. Yeah, they were throwing bat- batting practice to him. But I couldn't do that now. Like, yeah. I was blown away that, like, and I, somebody even asked, was like, when's the last time you swung a bat? He's like, oh, it's probably a couple years or whatever. Like, it took, him like a, it took him like 10, 12 swings to get into the groove of it. But he was, I was like, man. And he looked, I mean, at that time, he was probably, I don't know, that was 2008. So, I don't know how old he is now, but he was probably in his probably 50 at that point. So Wow. Um, yeah, just like super impressed with him. So, the so that's why that he could... makes Bull Durham work. Bull Durham, and he's also for the love of the game, which he looks pretty good in, and then uh, Field of Dreams. He never really actually plays in Field of Dreams, but um, but you could tell he's a baseball player, you know. The other guy that could swing it a little bit, um, I don't, it was, in, was, in, was the movie called Mr. Baseball when Tom Selleck goes to yeah. Japan? Yeah, yeah. Former he Detroit Tiger and all that, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, he had, he had he was decent, but like, but for that for like if you if you make a baseball movie, that's what I'm talking about. Sandlot, like the Sandlot kids were actually, you know, they were they were pretty good. They looked like real, they looked they could play a little bit. Um, and Eight Men Out, you know, those guys looked like they could play a little bit. But it'll really ruin a movie. And the thing that that made me mad I was watching For Love of the Game the other night. And that's the one where Kevin Costner's a pitcher and he's pitching at Yankee Stadium. He's trying to throw a perfect game. And John C. Riley, who I love otherwise, you know, I love Step Brothers, I love uh, every everything he's in, is his catcher. And off the field, where's the where's the Detroit Tiger hat? Because they play for the Tigers. Where's the Detroit Tiger hat? Everywhere he goes. I'm like, that, okay, see, that's like that ruins it for me. That almost ruined the movie. Like you never see a guy, right? Like walking. Right, down no the street. ball player is gonna like yeah, walk around with his hat on. Yeah, Charlie Morton's not walking down the street with a Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> hat, right? It's, if he is, then he's then I'm gonna say something to him, you know. But it's uh, so I, that's what I didn't like uh, about that. But that's you a know, good for, point. For, yeah, no, it's like little things like that. It, it, you have to be a baseball person, I think, Rick. And you know that. Like I, I heard somebody interviewed one time about why because baseball movies, typically among sports movies, if you think about it, boxing. And baseball are are they make more movies about that than any other sport? I would bet. I don't know that for a fact. Hard to make them about football. Hard, and the reason that they, football and hockey they said are very hard movies to make. And I said, and the reason is is because it's hard to replicate actual football games, and it's hard to ap- replicate hockey. Even more more so 
football than anything else because it's hard to tell people not to to hit people. And then and then when they do hit, it's like overly dramatic where guys are. You know, you watch some of those football movies and it's like. Boy, every guy should be in concussion protocol by the end well, of the Well, there's movie, two of you know? them that actually had some hitting. Any given Sunday and Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights was pretty convincing. Yeah, yeah. But even like, hit- even like with basketball with Hoosiers, it was like, it seemed like it was. Uh, yeah, it's a little too Everybody, it was, it was like three quarter speed, you know? Yeah, was, exactly. They didn't go, they, they weren't going all out. In fact, they were actually going half speed and they sped it up on camera probably to make yeah, it. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Rays are uh, just to get to real baseball. And, you know, you mentioned the hat thing real quick. You know, football players do wear their hats. But baseball players, yeah, you, you're right. I, I don't think you'd ever see a guy necessarily in the Rays walking around with his Tampa Bay hat on. But football players do it all the time because like, they don't wear hats. They wear helmets. Right. So right, right, maybe, right. That's, maybe that's why, you know, like they'll wear their Bucks hat. Anyway, right. speaking of the Rays, um, you know, they, they didn't get Craig Kimbrell. He goes to the Chicago Cubs, much like Joe Madden did. No surprise there, necessarily. Although I think the Rays did make a legitimate offer, whatever that means. But even if they were equal, I'd be surprised. Well, Maybe you just said, just like Joe Madden did. I think yeah. you're right, Rick. It's like the, you had the same type of sense of, okay, I have a choice. Stay in Tampa Bay before 8,000 people a night you know, <laughs> on a team that may or may not spend any more money. Yeah. Or I could go to a team that, Look, you know full well the Chicago Cubs, if they lose somebody, if they lose John Lester tomorrow, they'll go out and get somebody else, you know, because that's the way they roll, you know. And, and I wonder if Craig Kimball looked at it that way and said, hey, I'd rather go to a team that's – and also this one, where would you rather play, Wrigley or Trop? You know? Well, I there's like that, the and then I'll do you one more. Um, he's already pitched in the American League East where they have DHs and people already have seen him, right? And he'd be pitching point. against his former team, the Red Sox. Chicago, you're playing the National League. You're going to get some pinch hitter in the ninth inning. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's a new league, right? So they they may not have seen as much of you anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, you can play in front of 3 million people or, or at the Trop. So even if the offers were equal. But the Rays, they don't, you know, I think right now if you looked at them, you certainly could see where they could use another starter because, you know, this opener thing, you get one injury and now you're down to two starters and if Blake Snell doesn't get enough run support or if he has a bad outing, then you lose that game. Right now, Charlie Morton is the – Charlie freaking Morton, as they say on the um, T-shirts. He's the only thing they got going for him that's that's going to stop those losing streaks. But um, I think they still need to do something in the bullpen, Tom. I'm, I, I Even, you know, in the best-case scenario, they had a four-run lead the other night, so you felt a little better if you're a Rays fan. But – if you have to, you know, play a lot of close games, and they will against this weekend against the Red Sox, does, do you know a pitcher that you're confident in to get the last three outs on that staff right now? No, I don't. And if I was on the podcast here a couple of weeks ago, and I said I, I worry about their bullpen, particularly the back end. And that was even before Alvarado was having some of the the problems that he's having. He seems like he has the stuff, Rick. You know, he has the the punch out fastball and all that to get people out, but he's not doing it. And that's right. I, I, I applaud them if they tried to go after Krimbrill. I don't know that they were ever going to probably serious about a three-year deal, maybe a one-year deal, but he wasn't, I'm sure, interested in that. Um, and uh, until they fix that back end of the bullpen, I, I'm, I'm still not convinced that they're, uh, that they're good enough to win this thing or at least get into the playoffs. I, I, I think that ultimately, you know, Tyler Glasnow is going to come back. You hope that if he, when he does come back, if you're the Rays, that he's going to be picked pretty much pick up where he left off and injury-free for the rest of the year. 
And then maybe you get one of those other guys back at some point uh, who, you know, who's, who's been out. But until they fix that back end of the bullpen, Rick, I'm going to have serious concerns about this team. This, it feels like it's starting to, and I don't, it's a rough patch. It's a major league season. It's 162 games. You got, you're, you're going to have streaks like this, but you just, some of my concern is they, they're playing some of these really good teams. They, they struggle against the Yankees. They really struggled against the twins. You just wonder if, if, um, when they start playing better and better teams here, if if they're they have enough to win, I, I don't know. You know, would I wonder if they would go all in on a guy like Dallas Keuchel, or or if it was just you know we're in it for the closer, not for the starter. I would have been in for the closer, not for the starter. I think they can survive. I'm not convinced that Dallas Keuchel is would be a great fit here anyway. I, I don't know that he. I would spend a ton of money on you know for for him. Somebody's going to overpay for him. I, I would guess. Uh, I don't think the Rays should be that team, particularly if Glaston comes back. And then ultimately, you're hoping here sooner rather than later, um, you know, Brett Honeywell is going to be is going to be on this roster. And when I say sooner rather than later, I, I mean within the next year. You know, Jose De Leon, maybe. You Jose know. De Leon, what's the, the Brendan McKay? Uh, you hope yeah. that these kids. Yeah, McKay's in Triple A already. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So hopefully, eventually, and I, I'm assuming he's going to be a pitcher at the at this level. So. Um, hopefully you, you'll get those guys up here eventually. And you got to think more it, because you're the Rays. You got to think long term. Um, but I, I just got a bad vibe about this, Rick. I I don't think they're they're going to fall apart necessarily. But I I see them ending up 500. I think they're a 500 team. Unfortunately, you think they're a 500 team this year? Yeah, this year. I know. What are they about? Wow. 14 games over now. 14 games over. That would take just, quite a uh, quite an erosion. Yeah, it there. would be. Yeah, I mean, it would be playing basically two games under 500 for every month for the rest of the year or something like that. I, I just, mm. I just don't love that bullpen. I just don't love that bullpen enough. I think they're, and you know, offensively they're going through a little bit of a trouble right now. But I, I do think they're pretty decently offensive. I do think they're pretty decent offensively. I just don't think their their bullpen is good enough. I, that's where I worry about them. Well, they're giving Tickle. away, um, when I say giving away, they're offering $5 tickets to their games. So what's what's next? Free? Rick, I'm telling you, every day, every day I wake up and I'm less and less convinced they're staying. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen next year, but somebody asked me the other day, where will they be at the end of, at what point, where will they be in 10 years? And I said, they'll be long gone. And they mm-hmm. said, how soon before they're gone? And I... I I know they have the lease till twenty twenty seven. I just, so I would be surprised. I would be no. I would be surprised if they're here in the year twenty twenty three. I really think something will that happen. soon. Yeah, I really do, Rick. They can't. This is this is embarrassing. What how do they right how now. do they break this lease though? I mean, it's no, just somebody pay will, it off. Somebody will give somebody money. Yeah, yeah. Here's a check. How much, <laughs> Somebody's you know. writing a check. Right. Exactly. I, I just look at this team. Rick, I, it's it's an embarrassment. I, there's no way at the end of all of it. Look, the what it really comes down to is there's there are two things that keep a team from relocating. Teams, leagues don't like to relocate anybody. They they, they baseball really hasn't done it in the longest of any of the leagues. Right, right, and and they and that was Montreal moving to Washington. Yeah, try to find the last time before that. Now you're going back fifty some years. Yeah, know? so I mean they they don't have a record of it. No. But two things keep a team from moving. Typically, uh, it, one is a lease. Somebody somebody has a lease somewhere where they can't get out of, and two is is the sport to make the the sport itself, the league itself, does everything it can to make sure that that team doesn't leave. 
if you're Major League Baseball right now, are you are you throwing up roadblocks to keep Stu Sternberg from leaving town? This is embarrassing. Yes. I really, I I think if Major League Baseball would look at it and say, oh, look, Stu, he tried everything he could try. You can't find you can't find anybody to build you a stadium. You tried all over Tampa Bay. You can't build it in downtown St. Pete. You can't build it in Tampa. I think all the groundwork's being laid here. That at the end, I think say, well, I would agree with yeah, you in, in this sense. I think it's being laid to leave St. Pete for sure. I think the Rays are going to do absolutely nothing um, short of giving away tickets, which is about all they can do. I mean, $5 tickets, come on. Um, but I don't think they're going to do much. You know, you don't see the concert series. You don't see them a ton of marketing. Hey, come spend the day at the Trop. I think that they're making a point. Um, and I'm not saying they want 8,000 fans a game, but I don't. I don't necessarily, I think it kind of is a means to an end. Like, look, we, we, have, we have demonstrated now with a 90-win team and one that's one game out of first place halfway through the season that it doesn't matter if we win. No one is coming to this park. Right. And therefore, St. Petersburg does not work. Now, maybe that leads to one more swing at Hillsborough County, which is where I think they truly want to be. And for whatever reason, those three years didn't manifest itself in anything because you know this, Tom. I mean, you don't get the best deal until the, the clock is ticking the loudest. True. That's very true. And everybody sees 2028, and they're like, well, what does that really mean? Does that mean 2028, or does that mean 2025? or does it, But it doesn't mean 2019. You know, it just doesn't right. mean they're not going this year. And you know what? They're probably not going to be gone in 2020 either. Um, you know, weird things could happen. I guess you could put the, the moving vans up. I do know this from a journalistic standpoint. This is how it starts is yes. that I, I cannot do a single radio interview in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it'll be totally football, and then it'll be, oh, yeah, one more question. Let me ask you about the Rays. Yeah. There are cities, many of them, uh, that have a big sports appetite and, and are you know, looking longingly at this as opportunity. And, you know, Las Vegas is getting the Raiders. And football now is suddenly moving teams every week. But most of them to L.A., which was weird because it went, 20, went 22 years without any teams in L.A., and now it's like how many, you know, how many more teams can you put over there? Right. Um, but that's how it starts. You know, St. Petersburg was always that team that built stadiums all around baseball. Now, those teams didn't move, but you have to, that's the other thing that you have to have. You have to have a dance partner. Who is the dance partner for the Rays in Major League Baseball. You know, when the Bucks got this stadium built over here, we've been through the stadium game. This team was gone, by the way. It was right. gone. And then Art Modell saved the Bucks because Baltimore had the, was, had the, the wherewithal to build a ballpark and were going all in to attract an NFL team after having lost the Colts, you know, many years later or earlier. And if Art Modell doesn't move, you know, in the night, and announced that his, the Cleveland Browns, for God's sakes, are going to Baltimore. Right. I think that the Bucks end up there. And then it still took a half-cent referendum that passed by less than 5% after Tony Dungy lost to the Packers in his first game, 34-3. So, again, I, I, I don't see that city that's building a ballpark. No. Uh, the, the other thing, though, that, I, that ultimately may hurt the race here, and I don't is it, this is for example the lightning a couple of years ago when they were they were having ownership problems and that those owners wanted out you know the 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 Cowboys. but they just wanted to sell they just wanted to sell so so made so the national hockey league stepped in and they basically found jeff finnick you know they went through jack sperling and 
taught yeah. by Wiki, and they ba they basically found uh, a savior in Jeff. Finnegan. Could they do that with uh, with this? See, franchise? that's the problem. I don't think Stu Sternberg's interested in giving up a team. I think Stu Sternberg likes being a baseball owner. You know. Yeah. Here's the other thing too, Rick. And I, where was I? Where did I see this? Maybe on Deadspin. Uh, they wrote an article, and there was there was a, a week there where the, the attendance was just horrid. You know, when they had the worst attendance ever, and then balls were hitting catwalks, and just the trop was just getting really beat up. And somebody called and said that, uh, or somebody wrote, I think again, I think it was for Deadspin, just saying, uh, oh, the, you know, the Rays are a mess. They got a good team on the field, but they, uh, you know, they have a they have a lousy owner. And I was like, wait a minute, really? Is Stu Sternberg a lousy owner? I don't know that I would. No, categorize he's not. him as a lousy owner. But he's I think not. fans do. I think some fans think he's a bad owner. Fans think that, think but then is. fans aren't paying attention because, okay, A, he doesn't have a high-revenue team, meaning that the stadium is full of corporate support and sold-out Sky Suites, right? So there's that. Right. B, they've reinvented baseball as much as any single franchise can. I mean – you know their genius is out of necessity, right? Because they can't compete for these small mark with these large market teams for free agents, a la Craig Kimbrell. So what do they do? They they don't have three guys making twenty five million dollars in the starting rotation, so they come up with the opener. You know shifts are now uh, standard in baseball to the point where they might actually outlaw them if you can believe it. <laughs> um, you know every single thing that they have done. Uh, the analytics, uh, and I know it wasn't started by them, it was Bill James or whatever, and of course we all, you know, Moneyball and all that. But they they have continued to to be devoted to it. I mean, the New York Times, when the New York Times writes a you know 75 inch story about the genius of the Rays and how that all a began. failing New York Times, Rick, fake news. It's fake news. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that might be so, but their subscriptions are are, are through the chain, yeah, off the chain fine. right now. <laughs> um, especially digitally, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Um, but I, but I think that you know, when, 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 you know, places like that hail you as a trendsetter in baseball, that's that's not a bad ownership group at that point. No, and they won ninety games last year. So there's there, there's your proof right there. If a team doesn't spend, I'll show you a bad owner. Go go watch the Pittsburgh Pirates because I follow oh. them, you know a little bit. That team that. They're getting nobody at their games. Their attendance is almost as bad as the Rays, and they play in the most beautiful ballpark. The most gorgeous setting ever, in, yeah. Yeah, in Major League Baseball. And they and historically great, you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah, a, and, and, and have proven, that city's proven, that when they're a decent team, people come up to see them. That's a bad ownership. The, this ownership right here, they won 90 games last year, and, they're, and they made some offseason moves that, boy, you have to really be excited about. And give, give them credit, too, Rick. I think back about this a lot. I wrote columns... I think it was you know about two years ago, right? Where, it, where you know when they had when he went through that off season where they got rid of Longoria and Stephen Souza Jr. left and Logan Morrison like it, all these guys, they Jake Odorizzi like they just dumped everybody said. Remember people, people wrote national columns like this is an outrage. They're tank. This is tanking. They're trying to do what the Astros did, and then he come back and they won ninety games. You know it was with a with a team that, again I look I said they weren't winning with Longoria. And and Jake Odorizzi and those guys. Why not try something new? And they tried something new, and it worked. You know, so I I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think I said they lose a hundred and they won ninety, so and that's I. the most shocking season. I, I I think one of the more surprising and successful seasons in franchise history. I mean, there's just no other and way. And they're to look showing at it. so far this year that wasn't a total fluke. I mean, it no, first off, I don't fact, think you can yeah, fluke your way the opposite. into ninety if wins. You, if, 
Yeah, if you go back to August of last year until now, I'm not sure many teams have won as many games as the Rays. You might be right, yeah. You know, so there's that. All right, let's wrap it up on this, and we could do a whole podcast on it, but since I'm in the business and you're in the business of looking at our business, um, we're in transition as, as a, a newspaper industry, which I guess the word newspaper might be misused now. We're more, we're more becoming news organizations, I guess. Sure. Um, what's the, what, what is it, what are they going to look like in a couple of years? Are, are they going to be still uh, delivering it, things or what? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I just did a, a, uh, a story the other day in my newsletter about McClatchy, the McClatchy chain, which owns about 30 newspapers. They're in like 30 markets across the, across the country. Uh, and, you know, own some pretty, some pretty big papers out West, like, you know, the Fresno paper and, and several others. Um, and so pretty, a pretty a strong, uh, newspaper chain. And they tried it in Myrtle Beach, and now they're trying it in Bellington, Washington, which is a rather small paper, in Durham, North Carolina, where they're no longer printing on Saturdays. Mm. And the reason they're not printing is because it costs money to print a newspaper, and it costs money to deliver that newspaper. So they're trying it so that people will just get it digitally on Saturday. And I think, Rick, I think it's an experiment. They wouldn't go as far as to tell me that, the the woman who's uh, heading up the initiative on this. She would not go as far as to say that if this works, they're going to try it with all their newspapers. But I think this is where all newspapers ultimately, I think, Rick, are going to end up. They're not going to print seven days a week. I think they might print five days a week, uh, say Sunday through Thursday, something like that, or or maybe it'll six days a week, Sunday through through uh, Friday. And you'll get to the rest of your news digitally. Look, I even look at the Tampa Bay Times, Rick. You guys are doing things digitally now that you never did this is like th- what we're doing right now this podcast is a new form of journalism this is journalism you know it's yeah it's it's sure. a way to deliver news to to sports fans you know in a way mm-hmm. that that people people uh would rather get it these days rick it's it's you know i think you and i unfortunately are the dinosaur i got up this morning and i went out and i still enjoy that moment of going out and getting the newspaper off my driveway and bringing it in, opening it up, and drinking a cup of coffee and reading the newspaper. But we're, my kids, I I guarantee my kids haven't looked at a newspaper, and I don't know when, you know, probably since, at least since I worked at the paper. And they only looked at maybe my columns. Um, they read everything online, you know. They read everything on their phone. And I think that's where, I think that's where this is headed. So, I mean, Rick, you're involved in the industry. I just, I don't think, I don't know that there will be a print pod, product in I don't know, 10 years? Uh, that's mm. that's fair. I mean, I don't know exactly how it's going to go with advertising. You know, I, I also think that there's uh, probably, a, I mean, there's a lot of mail advertising and, and obviously the, the internet and the digital platforms have, have cut into, you know, that revenue stream that newspapers enjoyed for years and years and years. But I'll say this, it's, it's sort of, um, I think there'll always be, you know, a need and an absolute uh, requirement for communities to have a community news source to be a watchdog over politicians and local government and things like that. So I never, you never, I don't think we want to see them ever, you know, go out of business in terms of their ability to, to gather, you know, information and write, but you're right. Digital subscriptions is where it's at. We're offering them too. Um, I, I think the cost of newsprint, the cost to deliver them, and just the, you know, what what is the appetite for the new generation of people? Like you've mentioned, my son is 20, what, four years old. Um, he'll still pick up a newspaper again just to see it. 
but for the most part, you know, all his information, as much of mine, much of mine comes comes over a a, a telephone or right. um, some kind of handheld device, and we get it. And the other thing is, you get it in real time. I've had, and I don't mean to to poke fun at the business because I'm not really trying to do that, but it's sort of like describing, you know, to people in the future um, that. So let me get this straight. So so then. You would take the news from the previous day that is at least, I don't know, 12 to 24 year, hours old, and there would be people that would want to get it delivered to their driveway in the form of a paper, rather than actually, like it's, it comes in a paper and you put it on a driveway, and it's yesterday's news? Why would somebody want that? You know, like... If you just lay it out in just, you know, real terms, almost, I mean, it's almost like to some degree, you know, and again, I, I find great value in, in the, the photos and layout and I love holding a paper and reading it that way because that's what I was brought up to do. But, you know, I also remember when we had milk delivered to our door. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, the woman from McClatchy described to me, she said, name any other product in which they make Comes it, to your door. they package yeah. it, and they bring it to your house. <laughs> right. Like, well, I can happen. tell you, I'll like, tell you what the product is. It's everything my wife orders online, and that's what's killing <laughs> the brick and mortar malls right now. I mean, that's well, the only uh, thing that's, that's being delivered is Amazon. That's true. That's true, too. But you made a point a minute ago, Rick, that I think this is really important, and that is these local newspapers are absolutely a necessity if we want our democracy to work and, and our local officials to work. We, you know, uh, Dean Baquet, who's the executive editor of the New York Times, who I have a lot of. Uh, a lot of respect for, said something recently like he doesn't think there will be local newspapers in five years uh, unless, uh, unless a millionaire, a billionaire owner comes in and buys it. I don't agree with that. I, I do think there will, be, um, there will still be uh, newspapers and, and local news outlets in five years, but there better be because I'll tell you, I just look at the Tampa Bay Times and you look at this thing, and this isn't, look, for this, this whole enemy of the people and fake news, and tr that's not what we're talking about here. I know people get riled up at all the mainstream medias. Look, 98% of the media out there is not talking about Trump. They're not talking about Hillary. They're not talking about Paul. They're not talking about Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. They're not talking about politics. They're, they're banging on doors at your local hospital, which is what the Tampa Bay Times did yeah. when John Hopkins All Children's Hospital had major issues where people were dying. And mm -hmm. there's nobody else that's going to fix that unless the Tampa Bay Times had gone in. If the Tampa Bay Times does not do that story, that, yeah. uh, that newspaper or that hospital is still operating the same way it's, they had, had been operating, and kids are dying. There's, there's no die. doubt yeah. about that. Yep. You know, so this, this idea of, of that that news is going to get, you know, screw the mainstream media is, and I realize it's a small minority of people saying that as well, but it's, right. uh, it's disturbing when, when people look at journalists as the enemy of the people, it's really not. It's they're, they're, they're advocates. And, uh, they, and one other thing I'll say, Rick, and I, I'm piggybacking off of something I wrote the other day when people say, are you guys, you make errors, you don't care. Rick, you know, this for your, your you know, you've been in the business a long time. So have I, Whenever we get something wrong, whenever I had oh. a, something that I had to correct in the newspaper, it was oh. the worst feeling in yeah. the world. It literally makes your stomach, you feel like throwing up for about it a day. That's your soul. Yeah, it cuts and right to your soul. It does. It's like when, when you have to correction in the paper, it really, seriously, you feel like vomiting. It's, it's, mm -hmm. an, it's, an, it's the worst feeling you can have. So 
Anyway, there's a good It's like they question. say, all politics are local. All newspapers need to be for that reason to keep yeah. to keep the things that are happening in your community, whether it's like you said, John Hopkins or, you know, the school buses coming on time. Um, you know, all of that is uh, is necessary. So right. uh, you can read Tom Jones and his newsletter uh, daily, actually, on uh, pointer.org. He, of course, is the former com columnist of the Tampa Bay Times and my radio partner and uh, also the... Uh, one of the founders of this podcast, and we're glad to have you every week, Tom, whenever you want to be on. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. No, I enjoyed doing it. Thanks, thanks so much. Well, the Rays begin play in a four-game series at Boston against the Red Sox, so you look forward to that this weekend. Of course, uh, we could have a Stanley Cup champion by Sunday, or will we have a Game 7 next week? I'm going to have an interview with Bruce Arians, who sat down with me in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times. You can check that out on tampabay.com, and you'll hear that interview next week on this podcast, Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 